This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air. The Women's Refuge Program is proudly brought to you with funding from the Hastings District Council. You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is the Women's Refuge Program. It's our pleasure, as always, to have in the studio Julie Hart from Women's Refuge right here in Hastings. How are you going, Julie? I'm doing exceptionally well, thank you. That's great, old man. Winter's really got us in his grip now. I know, and I've managed to avoid all the bugs, so I'm doing well. Touch wood. Indeed. That was final. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just remind our listeners we want to get in touch with someone. Uh, we need the services of the refuge. How do we How do we do that? Easiest way is 0800 Refuge. Now today we're going to talk about uh, protection orders versus PSO. Tell us what they are. Um, so first off, just to tell people that my comments are indicative only and would absolutely uh, invite people to seek legal advice. You can talk to court staff, you can find uh, information online and you can of course consult your lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I came across the situation the other day with a woman who was awfully confused because police had attended her home and she thought they had put a protection order in place. So I thought I would talk about the difference uh, between a protection order and what the police actually did on that day was put in place a police safety order, being that they are two different things. So very quickly, a police safety order is if you call 111 and police attend your home, The police have to make a judgment if no crime's being committed, so there's been no assault, uh, no property damage, no threats to kill, anything like that. They can't arrest somebody Mm. because a crime has not occurred. But if they feel that after they leave this home, something could happen, they can put in place what's called a police safety order. And it is put against the violent person who then has to leave the home. And that can be issued for up to 10 days. So... For 10 days, that person cannot return to the home, and if they do return to the home, it's a breach of that order and there's consequences for it. It literally is what it says. It's a safety order. It's trying to keep people safe in that very high emotive period of time and gives a cooling off. It also gives the victim the ability to seek support, seek help, or seek a protection order. So the police do that on the spot. So they go to this call out and they make an assessment. They say, okay, well, we think that's got the possibility to blow out. So we're now going to issue a PSO. And what happens then? They then escort the uh, offender off the property? Um, Yes, and and in an ideal situation, if the offender doesn't have um, transport, they will drop the offender off to a family member or wherever it is they have designated they would like to go. Okay, so tell us now about protection orders. So this, uh, the PSO, that means the person's got to go off the premises for 10 days. Well, let's just stay, stay with that. So what then decides that they can come back? Because surely that fear is still there that they're going to go off and they get back home. Yeah, so if the partner, um, the victim of the um, offending at the time is willing to have them back in 10 days, they go back into the house and life goes on as normal. And if they're not happy, the order's just extended. Um So if the person doesn't want them to return, that's when we would look to move them to a protection order. Right. And that's a little bit more, um, not complicated, but it's a bit more of a process that the victim themselves has to take. And often the first thing that is the hardest thing is for the victim to actually decide that's what they want. Yes. Um, Some people think, you know, oh, it's it's a lot of hassle and I'll never get rid of them anyway and it's only a piece of paper and you've heard me say this many yes, a time, uh, but it's that use of the piece of paper that becomes the valuable tool. 
And all right, so we, we decide to act. We decide that we want to get this uh, this uh, protection audit in place. Talk us through the process. Uh, so my advice would be find someone who can help you. So that might be calling the refuge, and we will give you advice. We can support you. We can advocate for you. If you have a lawyer, now it needs to be a lawyer who specialises in family law mm-hmm. because this is not a criminal act. It's done through the family court, not through the district court or the high court. So it is a different process. You can actually apply without a lawyer. And in some cases where the cost is prohibitive for people, um, you can get legal aid. Mm. But legal aid is only up to a certain income level. So people who are seen on paper to have high income often don't qualify. So you can do it yourself. And uh, if you're wanting to do it yourself, you can apply, uh, approach the court or you can go online and find the application form. It's a form that needs filling out. But like I've said, we would, where possible, encourage people to use a lawyer yeah. for the process. I wonder, um, I mean, it's, it's hard enough to see a doctor. You know, it's, um, my wife made the appointment to go and see the doctor and say, well, yeah, we, we, we can see in three weeks. Yeah. So when we're seeing a lawyer for uh, something as serious as maybe getting a protection order, is there is there a fast track to that or not? So protection orders are meant to be issued within 24 to 72 hours. Mm-hmm. So family lawyers will act very fast. However, if they are um, just snowed under and they can't do it in that period, they will help you find another family lawyer perhaps mm-hmm. to help out. The idea being that if I was to say today that I am afraid of my partner, I'm afraid he's going to hurt me, I need a protection order, that is a, a huge flag because often victims of violence, they don't do that just because no. they fancy it and it seems like a really cool idea to annoy him with. Yes. It is absolutely about safety. Yeah. Uh, so a lawyer will look to get you in as quickly as possible. They will take a statement from you. You can take an advocate with you. You can, again, you can call Refuge. We could help you. Any of the other services in the community, uh, Taifenua, Dove Hawks Bay, many agencies who can support you through that process. But the lawyer will take an affidavit, which is a sworn statement. So you swear that what you're saying in here is true. The lawyer will talk you basically through your story. Mm. So what has happened? When did it start happening? Has it Um, the violence become worse over time? Why is it you think um, that you are not safe? So they're basically going to use your story to write an argument to the judge as to why a protection order is required. Um, We advise people to talk about often the worst case because today my partner might not have been at his worst. Mm -hmm. He may have been actually the, the violence three weeks ago was worse. Uh, they'll take that story as well because that's going to draw the picture of um, of the degree of violence that's happening. Um, and so the application gets filled in, it gets witnessed by the lawyer uh, and an and a external, they often walk you across the road to the other lawyer's office and get a lawyer over there to witness it. It goes off to the family court, you don't have to go with it. So the application goes off, the form's being filled out, and it goes in front of a judge. So it's a family court judge. And they'll read the application, and in many cases they'll make the decision without seeing the applicant. Having said that, sometimes the judge will ask to see the applicant with the lawyer um, or others who are helping. So they might Mm -hmm. say, well, can you come in and can you bring your refuge support person with you? 
and that might be because he wants he or she the judge wants a bit more further detail or just to clarify how urgent the need is and things like that. You've mentioned before um, that it's not a bad idea to, in fact, make notes of uh, things that have been going on, going on. not to the worst-case scenario when you finally decide to leave, mm-hmm. but leading up to that, you should actually make a note of everything. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? It does, because when you're in a point of crisis, and particularly if, if you're going to go to the lawyer, that's quite a nervous state. Mm. It's, some of us have never been to a lawyer before. They often have very sterile, business-like offices that might make us feel uncomfortable. Um, you're having to tell a person you perhaps have never met before quite an intimate story of mm. what has happened for you. Um, so again, we, we advise that support. Uh, but it is a time leading up to it or when you've made the decision, note down some of the things that have happened. Now, if you are still with your partner, remember around your safety do not leave those notes lying mm. around where they can be found. If you could give them to a sister, a mother, a friend, a neighbour, your boss at work to keep in a safe place rather than have it accidentally discovered and, of course, that will decrease your safety. It sounds fairly simple what you've been saying so far, that we make the application, we go to our lawyer, our lawyer gets assigned and it sends it off to the family court. But what about the, uh, the alleged offender at this point? Does he get to come to court and say, hang on, None of that's true. Right. What does he get to have his say or her say? So there's two ways in which an application can be applied for and granted by a judge. And the first one is called without notice. So let's say that um, I'm really, I, um, my partner was taken away last night and police put a PSO in place, but he's going to ignore that and I'm really fearful he's going to come back and hurt me. Uh, I would tell that to the lawyer they would get that into an affidavit and put in what's called a without notice application. Mm -hmm. And if that's uh, approved by the judge, granted by the judge, your partner will not be notified at that point. They also won't be arrested if something happens because at that immediate time, they've probably not been served Mm. the order. But if they were to turn up, if my partner was to turn up and he was outside, I could call police They couldn't arrest him on that occasion, but they could serve him with the order. Mm. And once he's been served, if he comes around again, then he absolutely can be arrested. The other part is is the on notice, and that's where the judge and looking at... Because remember, when it it comes to police and judge, I do feel very sorry for them because it's a he said said, and a she said. And the... um, judge will look at what's in front of them and think, actually, I want to talk to the partner and see what they have got to mm. say about this. So if it is done uh, with uh, on notice, rather, then the respondent, who's the person that's been made against, the violent person, they have the opportunity to seek legal advice themselves and put a response in to the court. The judge will then look at that response and say, um, no, this woman definitely needs a protection order, mm. so it is now in place. There's then a three-month cooling-off period, or not cooling-off period, that's the wrong expression, but a three-month period where the respondent has the opportunity to come back and say, no, I totally disagree with it. Yep. I don't believe the court should give this to my partner, ex-partner, and I'm going to argue it. This is where uh, we like women to have been speaking with lawyers because if it gets to that point, it becomes a court case. Yeah. And you need, for your best um, advocacy, you need a lawyer in there with you. It's often not still not done with you in the court. 
often mm. the lawyer can be arguing on your behalf. They try and keep the victim as protected as possible, and that's even from that imitation of those glances across a courtroom yep. or the phone call. If you turn up to court tomorrow, yep. you're going to get it, all that kind of stuff. What happens in the interim? So you mentioned that uh, we put the application for the order, and it might be for an immediate order, uh, but the uh, the defendant... Uh, says, no, look, that's not how it happened. And, and it might take several weeks for uh, their side of the story to be help, uh, told. What happens in the short term? Does the protection order stand until it's gone through the court and it's been sorted out? Yes. So if it's been, if you've been granted a what's called a temporary protection mm. order, that is in place and you are protected by it. Somewhere down the line, once he's put his case forward, a judge has made a decision, it then becomes what's called a final order. And once that final order is in place, it is in place for life unless the victim or the respondent apply to the court to have it removed at some later stage. I was going to say, how much detail is there actually in the, uh, in the order? Is it, is, is it a lengthy document? Um, no, often not. It depends on the length of your story. So often lawyers will put um, a story in there that demonstrates how long this has been going on for. Mm-hmm. So this has been happening in the relationship for seven years, they will look at the worst story, so the worst um, incident of violence that happened, mm-hmm. and then they'll look at the latest story and as to why um, the applicant has now uh, applied for this order. And once it's uh, been, um, so let's just say um, the order has been approved, got this restraining order or this protection order, does then the person, the respondent, then have to leave the house immediately or, or does the woman have to leave the house and go to the refuge? No. So with the protection order, once it has been either put in place without notice uh, or made a final order later down the track, the violent person has to leave the home if that's what the victim chooses. The victim can choose to mm-hmm. leave, of course. She might go sure. and stay with family, friends. She may feel safer coming to stay in a refuge safe house. But the order says that the abusive person has to leave. Now, there's a little thing just to confuse everybody. You can have a protection order and choose to live together. So if she decides that, so so my partner, I've just got a protection order out, but actually I've decided that let's see, he's made all these promises, I love you, Mm -hmm. it'll never happen again, I'll get help, I'll go to Dove and do a men's stopping violence program. And I think, okay, well, I'm going to give him another chance and at first of course that it's a honeymoon period so everything's lovely and nice but it might actually be a couple of months down the track and he starts that same old behavior and I start to feel scared again I can at that point ask him to leave the house Mm. and if he doesn't leave the house he can be arrested so that's where the power of this tool comes in that it gives the victim control over the situation do many people choose choose to go down that track? Is that is that the exception to the rule? Um, quite a few people do, and you've heard me say before that quite often a victim will take will leave seven times mm, before yes. they leave for good. So yes, get a protection order. I forgive my husband, give him a second chance. He comes in, same old behaviour. I ask him to leave. He might even be arrested. He might go to court and he might be sentenced for something. A couple of months down the track when it's all lovely and I'm getting the flowers and the chocolates again and I think, oh, well, let's try yeah. again. It, it, domestic violence, family harm is very cyclical and it's because we love the person. We just mm. don't want the violence. Is there a problem actually being the party that leaves the uh, 
let's call it the matrimonial home or the, the jointly owned home or whatever. Is there a problem that even though that you're in the right and you've got the protection order, but you decide to go to the to the refuge or somewhere else and you might be there for a couple of three weeks, that it's almost like possession is nine-tenths of the law then because then the person who uh, has aggravated the situation to start out with, they're in the family home, they've got everything that was there, and they say, well, I'm not leaving. What happens there? Um, the protection order kicks in and mm-hmm. they'll be removed um, oh, right. forcibly by police if they have to and then they'll be arrested for breach of protection order so, so that's where the power comes yeah. in with this piece of paper that is a great idea to get yeah. that isn't it absolutely um, often people ask too about well you know they're his children is he not allowed to see the children again that's all dependent on the situation so if your partner's abusive but he is a good dad who in general treats the children well you can choose to have um, shared custody. Mm. You then go through court looking at parenting orders. But you can absolutely agree that, yes, mm. he is a good dad. Him and I have stopped the relationship, but he's not. He's divorcing me. He's not divorcing mm. the kids. So, yes, he can have them, whatever the arrangement might look like. Um, if that's not the case for you, and if you fear what would happen to your children if they were left in the custody of the abusive person, uh, you would, through the protection order and through the lawyers, you would work out, you can actually have only supervised access, Mm -hmm. and a court will look at the suitability of the parent. Because what the parent who's been violent has shown is that I'm not a quality adult. Mm, Yes, indeed. I'm not a quality adult. The, The law looks at you, you've shown you're not a quality adult. Are you adult enough and a quality enough to look after these children. If the court decides you're not, then they can put in place supervised access, where the only way they are allowed to have contact with the children is with a supervisor present. Now, that might be engaging somewhere like Birthright or Taifenua to provide supervisors, or it might be that the kids can go to his mum's mm. on a Saturday and he's allowed to visit with the children at his mum's with the mum present. So there's all sorts of ways it can be worked out. So just to clarify that point, so the person who holds a protection order, that protection order acts like a, almost like an, an umbrella effect that it also covers the children. They're covered by that same order. Yes, so any child under 17 is automatically covered. Mm. That is in That's your great. care uh, and in your household. Once they turn 17, they, they're deemed an adult. They can then apply to have it. the child themselves, 17-year-old adult, mm. can themselves then say, actually, I'm still fearful of my dad. Mm. I want the protection order to continue. And so the protection order will be go back in front of the family court. The judge will go, listen, they're going to listen to the 17-year-old because they they know yeah. what's, what's safe and what's not, and it can continue. Protection order can also, um, example, if he's threatened, well, if you leave me, I'm, I'm going to attack your mother. Mm. Your mother can be covered no. in the protection order. Your best mate that he keeps threatening because mm. your best mate supported you through all this and he now hates her, mm. um, they, can be, well. they can be covered. If you leave the relationship and get a new partner, the new partner can be covered by the protection order. So there's lots and lots mm. of scenarios that, that relate to these um, protection orders. You have mentioned many times in the past that um, even though children are affected sometimes directly by family violence, that they do in fact love the person that is perpetrating the violence on them. So what happens in that situation where they're covered by the, uh, the protection order but they still want to go and see Dad? Does, is the child's um, 
attitude or request taken into account? And that's the one that I suppose it would have supervised visits, is it? And so another uh, great thing about applying for a protection order, if you are unsure as to, and some people, because they're um, hurt and humiliated by what went on, they don't want the kids anywhere near mm. the person. They might not be necessarily thinking in the best interests of the children. Mm. They're bitter and angry and and genuinely scared. Mm, absolutely. Uh, what the court does is they put in a counsel for child. Mm. So the children have a lawyer of their own, and that lawyer will act on behalf of the children. So if the children are, uh, so if if it's if the access agreement is that they go and stay with dad mm. every second week, but the child is saying, "I don't want to go to him. I'm scared of yeah. him." The Council for Child will listen to that. Yes. They're skilled in understanding kids that are just um, misbehaving and misusing yep. things, if that's a way of putting it, and those who have a genuine fear. They can negotiate, okay, well, you don't want to go to Dad's on your own, so let's get supervised access, yep. all those kinds of scenarios. So uh, at the end of the day, though, that even if we have, uh, say, supervised uh, access, that original protection order is all empowering, so that can be invoked at any time if anything goes wrong. Yes, and often the no matter what parenting orders are in place, no matter what um, occupancy orders and furniture orders, these are all stuff that mm. are often used during um, domestic violence relationships uh, separating. No matter what other orders are in place, the the protection order, the family court granted protection order overrides most other legislation yeah. because it is absolutely about the safety of the victim or victims. Okay, last question before uh, you get back to work. Um, it sounds great. Got a bit. A lot of people, of course, will say it's just a bit of paper and we know it does have uh, you know, consequences if you breach the order, but what happens or what are some of the penalties for breaching the order? Um, so if... So I've taken out this protection order against my partner and he breaches it. He's been served it, so mm -hmm. he knows he's not allowed to breach. And he comes around, I call 111. He can be arrested for breach of protection order. So simply turning up to my home can be a breach of the protection order. If he had turned up to my home and physically assaulted me, that's two breaches of the protection order. Mm. They have come to my home when they're not meant to and they have physically assaulted me when they're not meant to. All going well in a court, if there's three breaches, that can be an automatic prison sentence. Wow. And they can be imprisoned for up to three years. Mm. Now, they can be imprisoned for up to three years on each breach. So the breach of coming around, yeah. then often the charge is male assaults female. Mm. Um, so, you know, it does have some serious consequences. That bit of paper didn't stop him arriving at my house and assaulting me. Mm but it put in place a consequence for his behaviour that is often um, easier to uh, police and put through the court systems than uh, if he assaulted me. There's often no witnesses. It's his word against mine. Um, there's a bit of a bruise on my face, but he said when I went to run away from him, I hit my face mm. on the cupboard door. Uh, the protection order is often an easier way for the courts to um, make charges stick and have consequences. 
Good on Julie. Now, if anyone needs some help and either getting a protection order in place or, in fact, just wants to come and see you at the Women's Refuge or you know, just perhaps move into the refuge for a short term or whatever, how do we do that? Um, so easiest way to contact us is 0800 Refuge. And don't forget that if you are looking at doing a protection order, we highly recommend you contact a family lawyer to discuss or call into the court and the court staff can help you as well. Julie, as was my pleasure. You look after yourself. We'll talk to you same time, same place next time. Indeed. The Women's Refuge Program is proudly brought to you with funding from the Hastings District Council. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers. Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.